Birmingham Comedy Festival presents The Great Larry Stevens Mystery or How a Forgotten Black Country Writer Changed British Comedy Forever. Tony Hancock and the Goons were the biggest names in post-war British comedy, attracting millions of loyal listeners every week. Behind them were some of the greatest comedy writers of all time. For Hancock, we undoubtedly think of Ray Galton and Alan Simpson, writers of Hancock's Half Hour, while The Goon Show is forever associated with the warped genius of Spike Milligan. But behind both of those comedy stars is another writer, long forgotten and barely mentioned today, Larry Stevens. It was Larry who laid the foundations for Hancock's stardom, and it was Larry who helped steer Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe, and Michael Benteen to huge success as the goons. And that's not all, as Larry also wrote for many of the other big names of the day, including John Pertwee, Dick Emery, Arthur Askey, Charles Hawtrey, June Whitfield, and even Ronnie Corbett. But who was Larry Stevens, and why has he been written out of comedy history? Born in West Bromwich in 1923, Larry Stevens was raised in Quinton. His father worked for the local electric company and the young Larry attended school in nearby Birmingham. A keen musician, he joined a local dance band playing regularly around the black country and surrounding area before joining the Commandos during World War II. Demobbed in 1947, he moved to London. As Julie Warren, author of It's All in the Mind, the first biography of Larry Stevens, explains... It was here that Larry first met rising comedian Tony Hancock and began writing material for Tony's stage act. There was um, a club in London for ex-servicemen and women called the Nuffield Centre. And a couple of times a week they'd have like a variety show where wannabes could get up on stage and do a turn alongside people like Gracie Fields. Um, and Larry was spending quite a lot of time at this club and he got chatting one night to an agent called Phyllis Rounce. And she was representing an up-and-coming Tony Hancock. And she thought that the two of them would get on well, so she introduced them. Tony and Larry hit it off really well. They started living together. They lived in a variety of flats all over London. And Larry then started writing all of Hancock's stage material as well. It was through Tony that Larry met Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, Harry Seacombe and Michael Benteen, a group of would-be entertainers who were testing out new material at the Grafton Arms pub. Larry quickly became great friends with the goons, and especially fellow jazz buff Spike. And when the BBC decided to commission a new radio series from them, Larry was there. He was there right from the beginning. He started writing the scripts with Jimmy Grafton and Spike Milligan. So from when they got an uh, opportunity to record a pilot with the BBC, he was there, worked on that script, and then he ended up writing for every series during his lifetime. And you can really see his influence in the different characters, situations, place names. He mentions the commandos a lot. He served with the commandos during the Second World War. There was a particular word in the goon show, Spawn, that gets used a lot for characters, 
places, all sorts. But Spawn's actually an area of West Bromwich where Larry was born. So that's just one example of the kind of influence you can see of his in the show. Hello, folks! It's I, Neddy Sigun, and I finished writing my memoirs. Just listen to this last paragraph. Like it? <laughs> ah, yes, this will earn me a fortune. If not a five tune, or a six tune, or even a seven tune. Ahem. Larry co wrote the very first Goon Show episode, broadcast in 1951 and went on to write, or co-write, over 140 episodes. This is the story of Phyllis Nerishigun, the man who smiled in the face of danger and laughed in the face of death. <laughs> Paris, the year 1900 we espy a ragged figure clutching about him a threadbare boulevard. Yes, folks, it was me, folks, Neddy Sigun, folks. All the winter I'd been in Paris, starving, folks. No money, no work, no means of support except for my small national health braces. <coughs> Suddenly, I was approached by a man speaking broken English, for he was a broken Englishman. He asked me if I wanted some work. Gad! I said, no thanks, I'm trying to give it up. You see, I can't afford it. At the time they were huge. Um, their style of comedy was completely different to anything that had come before. While working on The Goon Show, Larry continued to write for his flatmate, Tony Hancock, penning material for Hancock's increasing radio appearances, including variety programme Calling All Forces. Then, in 1952... Harry created a brand new vehicle for his pal, one that would give Hancock top billing. Vacant Lot. A half-hour radio sitcom set in the fictional seaside town of Churdley Bay, the series would star Hancock as a likeable yet bumbling auctioneer and local councillor who was barely tolerated by the local bigwigs. Come to Churdley Bay, resort of bankrupts and international unknowns. Sunbathe on the golden slopes of the corporation Slagheap, or doze lazily in the cool shadows of the Erpington Road gasworks. Lacerate your feet on the specially sharpened stones of the beach. Bathe in the calm waters of our famous Cabbage Lane static water tank. And all this misery for only twice what you would pay anywhere else. Yes, forget Palm Beach, Florida, where the turf meets the surf. Choose Churdley Bay, where the drains meet the sea. Accompanying Tony was an array of colourful and often eccentric characters. Oh, Anthony! Is that you, Anthony? Yes, Aunt Amabel. Ah, oh, there you are, Anthony. Oh, you haven't got your scarf on. You're blue with cold. No, no, I'm all right, Aunt dear. Oh, there you are. 
I told you to watch that cold. Colds can be very dangerous, Anthony. And you must keep well wrapped up when you've got a cold and keep dry and above all, don't catch cold. Yes, yes, Auntie. But uh, isn't it time for you And then to... exercise is a very, very important for the bloodstream, you know. Dear Titus always used to do exercises. I remember him saying to me, Amabel, he said, he always used to call me Amabel because that's my name, you see. Although I am telling you that, I don't know because you know already. I must remember to get that curry powder. Anyway, Titus said, Amabel, do exercises every morning like I do and you'll live forever. I remember him saying it. Do exercises every day and you'll live forever. Uh, that was in March 1927. No, no, it was February 27 because we buried him in March. <laughs> yes, Auntie, but I'm afraid... Anthony! <laughs> you remembered. Remembered? Yes, you remembered my birthday. Your birthday? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Many happy returns. <laughs> Thank you, dear. The vacant lot was not meant to be. There were auditions for a pilot to be made, but the programme planners couldn't decide whether they wanted it to be an audience or a non-audience show. It had originally been written as a non-audience show. So they were going to go ahead and do it like that. But then they kept changing their minds and saying, well, perhaps it'd be better with an audience. In the end, they said, oh, we'll, we'll try it with um, both scenarios. But this would have meant another script would need to be written because it would need to have more audience reaction, that kind of thing. And the people who were going to star in it had been chosen for their acting ability rather than their comic timing. And if they weren't going to get this reaction they were hoping for from the audience, then it would probably fall flat. They kept changing their minds, programme planners. Larry was busy writing for other people as well at the time. Hancock was getting increasingly frustrated with all this I'm in an ring, so in the end it was dropped. Despite Vacant Lot being shelved, Larry was nonetheless an in-demand comedy writer, contributing to other hit series such as All Star Bill and collaborating with Eric Sykes as well as Spike. But deadlines started to pile up and Larry was beginning to feel the pressure. Eric Sykes once said that The Goon Show was the most high-pressure show to work on. It had more gags per minute than any other show, apparently. But it wasn't just this that Larry was having to churn out a script for every week. He was writing for lots of other shows. His co-writer, Spike Milligan, was having mental health issues and Larry would be left on his own every now and then and so that would like pile the pressure on even more so he'd have to try and produce the script on his own so in the end he began to turn increasingly to alcohol to help ease the stress that he was under alongside his regular radio commitments larry was also beginning to write for the burgeoning medium of television penning sketches and material for dickie valentine bernard braden and harry seacombe he was also contributing to itv's the tony hancock show and in 1957, started writing for the Army Game. Probably the most important show he worked on was the Army Game. At the time, it was the most popular television programme in the country. It was getting in huge viewing figures in the millions, considering television was more or less in its infancy then. A lot of the stars from the Army Game went into the carry-ons, such as Bernard Breslau, Charles Hawtrey, and William Hartnell. He went on to become Doctor Who. There's a theory that Carry On Sergeant, the idea for that came from the army game and that used a lot of the same actors and a similar sort of theme. 
and from then on it became the Carry On franchise. As the Army game established itself as the most popular series on television, Larry learned he had just a year to live. He was hoping to buy a house, but to get a mortgage he had to go through a routine medical. He always considered himself to be fit. He'd served with the commandos during the war when he was trained to have a fitness level close to that of a professional athlete, so he'd never really worried about his health. But he went for this routine medical. The doctor told him he had the highest blood pressure he'd ever seen and told him he had a year to live. He probably didn't know he was suffering from this problem because high blood pressure its known as a silent killer because blood pressure rises gradually. The body adapts to it and so you don't really realise you've got a problem until it gets really serious. Slightly he was suffering from PTSD but he's, he'd been kind of indoctrinated during the war to keep his feelings inside, not to give away any emotion. He was still haunted with images of the horrors he'd seen during the war, but he was trying to keep it buried. So it would manifest itself in nightmares and mood swings. That probably contributed as well to his high blood pressure because there's a link being seen between high blood pressure and post-traumatic stress disorder. Larry died suddenly in January 1959, aged just 35, following the recording of the Goon Show episode, Dishonoured Again. A lot of recent commentators have said that he died because he was an alcoholic, but there isn't any evidence to suggest that he was alcoholic. He might have liked to drink, but he wasn't an alcoholic, I don't think. What eventually killed him was a brain hemorrhage brought on by the high blood pressure. It was just sudden unexpected, drop down dead. Larry's output was significant and sizeable, yet today his name is barely remembered, overshadowed by those he wrote for and those he wrote with. A lot of the things he worked on no longer exist. So, um, for example, the first four series of The Goon Show, there are very, very few recordings of them because the BBC used to reuse their tapes for other things. There might be a few home recordings that fans made but they'd quite often cut off before the closing credits. There's been a few Goon Show script books released but they generally only have Spike Milligan's scripts in or scripts where Spike's been named as the writer and it's the same with the army game there aren't very many recordings of that left. When it first started they were live performances and not recorded so there's only around 50 episodes of that left. And Larry was a quiet man, so he didn't push himself forward. He wasn't a performer unless he was playing the piano. He was kind of in the background at the time, and it's been easy really for him to be forgotten as time's gone on, and the stars of the Goon Show became huge icons. Yeah, because what time is it? Oh, um, I got a minute. I, I got it written down here on a piece of paper. <laughs> this has been a Birmingham Comedy Festival Lockdown Lurgy production, written and produced by Dave Freak. The Goon Show segments adapted from scripts by Larry Stevens and Morris Wiltshire. Vacant Lot by Larry Stevens, featuring the voices of Jim Rennie as Seagoon, James Hearn as Hancock, Janice Connolly and Richard Usher. The Lost Hancock's Vacant Lot was produced by Birmingham Comedy Festival.
Want to find out more about Larry Stevens? Then see It's All in the Mind, The Life and Legacy of Larry Stevens, written by Julie Warren and published by Unbound.